1: Hey, hey, welcome back. We are Employment Law Show. Good to have you along, and it is another half hour of knowledge for you. It's absolutely free. There's plenty of time to reach out as well. Chris Justice is your guy here, courtesy Sam Firou, Tamarkin, LLP, happen to be the most positively reviewed law firm in this country from coast to coast to coast, so you can reach out anytime to Chris and his team, always ready for a chat, education, and resolve some issues you're having with your employer, or if you're an employer, feel free to uh, to ring them up, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca, and the website built and constructed around your convenience, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Within that, you will find the severance pay calculator. That has been around probably for close to eight, nine years now. Over two million people, have used it and at least checked it out to see what their severance offer should be. Get much more of an accurate prediction or at least number of what your severance should be and that can be found again at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Going to get into our topic of three key things to look out for in your employment contract. That is coming up, Chris, but we always start off with the case of the day. Brother, what do you got?
2: Yeah, so today I've got a case that involves an employer who uh, essentially dismissed an employee from their employment, but the way in which the employee was dismissed and some of the things the employer did uh, on the employee's way out actually led uh, the court in this case to award punitive damages against the employer, um, which, is, which is a fairly rare occurrence, to be fair. Um, but punitive damages are essentially meant to punish the wrongdoer rather than to compensate the victim or the employee in this case. Um, they are awarded very rarely Um, but most commonly in situations where uh, the employer, I suppose, has acted in a more high-handed or malicious or arbitrary manner uh, that would represent a a departure, I guess I should say, from the the normal standards that one would expect of an employer. So in this particular case, uh, the employer, as I mentioned, had terminated the employee's employment but refused to actually issue a record of employment um, for a very long time to that employee, and also withheld the employee's vacation pay and their final wages. And um, from my understanding of the case, there was a little bit of acrimony in the buildup to the termination, which I think had the employer, we'll say, maybe feeling a bit more emotional or, or um, you know, aggressive towards the employee in question. And so that's partly what, um, why the employer, I should say, refused to issue the record of employment, withheld some wages. There, there was this acrimony um, at play. Hmm. And when the case eventually made its way to trial, um, even though the employer was aware uh, that it was obligated to provide the employee with these amounts, it, it would still refuse to do so. And that, and that was a huge, I think, factor in the decision is, is the awareness of it. Um, Although not to say that incompetence or or, um, ignorance to to these things is going to excuse an employer, Mm -hmm. but the employer was aware in this case. And so uh, the court, as a result, found that the employer's refusal to provide the employee with these amounts constituted what's known as an independent actionable wrong. So just something separate and apart from the whole severance question or analysis Uh, and uh, obviously something uh, as a result of the employer's bad faith um, because employers, all employers, have to treat each of its employees or their employees fairly and reasonably. That's an implied term of any contract of employment, whether it's written down or not. And and this is what the employer, in this case, um, violated, essentially. So uh, that's why, even though there is a very stringent test in terms of when punitive damages are awarded, Uh, That's why the employer in this case uh, was hit with those damages. Um, And so employers just really need to be aware that, you know, obviously there are certain obligations that they need to adhere to when it comes to paying out certain amounts of money, especially those under legislation, Mm -hmm. uh, to providing a record of employment within certain timeframes, depending on whether you're a provincial or a federal employee and that if they don't, then they just risk simply getting slapped with awards like this uh, this employer did or with punitive damages like this employer did.
1: And punitive damages can be a decent amount, yes?
2: Yeah, yeah, depending on uh, the conduct, depending on uh, the impact that that conduct had on the employee, um, they can be very, very high. Now, again, it's it's relatively rare to have huge amounts but there are definitely cases out there where hundreds of thousands of dollars even in punitive damages or other types of extraordinary damages have been awarded so employers just again need to be very mindful of this and employees should definitely also be on the lookout uh, if they haven't received certain amounts or if they haven't gotten their record of employment or if they believe just generally that their employer has failed to comply with their obligations um, something you definitely want to raise uh, and uh, maybe I end up, end up talking to an employment lawyer and uh, not only getting severance, but, you know, these additional extraordinary damages as well.
1: And that is what Chris is. You can reach out to him anytime and one 855 821 help at employmentlawyer.ca. Okay, I want to get into this important topic. Everybody needs to know this stuff, and that is the uh, key things to look out for in your employment contract. Here's three of them. Number one, uh, job description. That would be a good place to start. Yeah.
2: Job description, yeah. So the reason why I highlight job descriptions as being a key part of a contract is because far too often uh, I get involved in situations or I advocate on behalf of people in situations where over time their job has changed. Mm -hmm. And it may not necessarily start off with the biggest change. There may be some minor changes. And then those minor changes snowball into more minor changes or bigger changes over months and then maybe over years and after that point in time several months or years later the question becomes you know what is that employee expected to do you know what what are the responsibilities of that employee in their role and if the role itself evolves over months or years then it could be argued that the employee's role is just simply a fluid one, one that uh, adjusts or adapts depending on the needs of the company. Um, And it just becomes a lot more difficult to sort of pinpoint what's being changed and what isn't if you don't have a job description that clearly outlines your key duties and responsibilities. Um, if you do have that job description or or if you don't see one in your contract and you definitely want to ask for one just so everyone's clear going in, then you're gonna know what's expected of you and then if changes do happen later on, you can sort of compare, you know, the before and after and if those changes do represent a significant, you know, departure from what you're used to, you're gonna have more of a like to stand on in terms of, you know, saying to your employer, hey, wait a minute. Didn't sign up to do this. Right. This isn't in my job description. And your employer is going to have to have to make a decision. Have to make a decision at that point. And depending on what that decision is, you, you could find yourself in a situation where you've been constructively dismissed, where where now you're looking at potential years of severance uh, for your employer's failure to just you know have you do what was expected to you to begin with.
1: Again, talking about key things to look out for your employment contract. Second one is uh, reference to any external policies. What do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, so a lot of times I'll talk to people who get a contract, maybe it's a page, a two or three long, and the contract will refer to an addendum or an appendix or, you know, please see attached schedule A, B, C. Uh, the contract may reference bonus plans or pension plans or benefit plans, uh, code of conduct, um, Yeah, I mentioned uh, regarding anti-harassment, bullying, those types of plans. So first of all, you just generally want to understand all these sorts of plans. So if there's anything referenced in the contract you're being asked to sign that you actually haven't seen before, you're going to obviously want to make sure you get a copy of that. It's very reasonable to request that and review everything in totality, especially if your employer is going to uh, essentially make an argument that all of these external policies or plans form part of the terms of your employment even though they may not be clearly set out in the contract you actually signed. So, I think transparency is is always important, but when it comes to being transparent as well on things relating to your compensation, uh, I mentioned bonus plans, pension plans, benefit plans, you may sign a contract thinking that you're expecting a $50,000 a year bonus on top of your $50,000 base salary, right. but then, you know, after you join the company and upon, you know, finding out later on, you discover that the odds of you actually hitting those metrics for the bonus are extremely low. And that on the face of it, it could look good, but when you break down sort of how the bonus structure is set up, uh, there's really no realistic hope of you getting that money. So so those are some of the reasons why I think it's important, of course, to, to sort of look at these policies. Uh, there, there's another situation that will often come up as well, where an employer will give a contract to somebody and whether it's in the contract or not, the employer will tell the employee that there's a handbook, you know, this this uh, employee handbook or this employer handbook. And, and a lot of times this handbook is not really much of a handbook because it's, you know, could be one, two, three hundred pages long. And I've seen a lot of times employers try to incorporate the handbook, again, as part of the terms of the employee's employment. And a lot of times these employers have a very tough time doing that. Um, you know, employers should be including everything in the contract that gets signed and not, you know, after the fact be saying, Oh, there's this other policy that is forming the basis of your employment. That's going to be a hard, it's going to be a tough hurdle for the employer to get over. But as an employee, again, you just want to make sure that you know exactly what you're getting into exactly what's expected of you before you sign anything. And as an employee, you should also know that if you sign a contract and then let's say a month later, get a handbook. Um, your employer very well may not likely be able to rely on that. So, so don't assume that your employer, if they're coming to you saying, you know, this is in your handbook, you have to do it, or, or this is what we're going to give you because it's in the handbook, it's set out in the handbook. Don't assume as an employee that that's actually the case, especially if that's given to you well after you've signed the initial contract and
1: a short break, we'll get to one more of those points and some other uh, some other business as well. In the meantime, reaching out to Chris one 855 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue. The Employment was show.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the Point of Law Show. A few minutes ago, thank you so much for tuning in again. And uh, Chris Justice is your guy reaching out any time. He is there and ready. mark Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm overall in this country. So Chris and his team have got you in good hands. one 821 5900 the phone number, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And as we always mention, the website that's free, anonymous, much to be learned, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca with the severance pay calculator there as well. Want to get to one more of these talking points, Chris, before we move on to some other things, and we're talking about key things to look out for in your employment contract. Number three is interesting. I want you to expand on this one because it's uh, sure as heck is current, and that is COVID-era policies. We're talking vaccination requirements, uh, COVID layoffs, and and, and the like. What do you say about that?
2: Yeah, so we'll start with the COVID layoffs. Um, Before the onset of COVID, I would say that it was much more rare to find a, temporary layoff or a layoff section in somebody's contract. Uh, a lot of times there would be a termination clause, but not always would there be something saying we have the right to lay you off, let's say in accordance with the legislation. Now, with the onset of the pandemic, and of course, because you know tons of people across the country have been laid off uh, due to COVID, or at least they're being told it's due to COVID, uh, I myself as a lawyer, am seeing a lot more Uh, Contracts, new contracts with layoff provisions. Whether they're COVID related layoffs or or just layoffs in general, uh, there are more layoff provisions. And and I think that can have a bearing on a company's ability to uh, institute a layoff. It doesn't mean by any means they can get away with laying somebody off for two years. Um, But much like a termination clause, uh, as an employee, you're going to want to be mindful of any layoff clauses. Uh, especially given uh, where we're at nowadays with this pandemic and and what's been going on for the past couple of years. So um, like I say, that could potentially give an employer an ability to lay you off for a certain period of time. But like anything that's relating to contracts, it has to be worded in a very precise way. And uh, even though you may think they have the ability to do that because there is something like that in your contract, don't don't necessarily assume so. So that's what I'll say on the layoff part. As far as... Uh, vaccination stuff is concerned. Um, obviously, uh, well, a lot of people I've spoken to have lost their job or they've put uh, been put on an unpaid suspension for not getting vaccinated. And we're still kind of uh, the legal bar that is trying to figure out where the courts are going to land on, on a lot of this. Although, in my view, for the most part, if you've lost your job due to not getting vaccinated, you are likely entitled to some severance. But As far as someone starting a fresh uh, job, uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see there be, from the outset, a requirement that they get vaccinated. So if they're not going to get vaccinated to begin with, they may not even be able to satisfy that requirement. And that, to be honest, could be uh, impactful in terms of them getting the job to begin with. Now let's say they are vaccinated or they're not necessarily opposed to being vaccinated and vaccinations are a requirement of, of their employment and, and have been included in the contract, generally speaking, as an employee, you just want to take a good look at that as well. Uh, for example, you may think that because you are double or triple vaxxed at this point, that your employer is not going to ask you to get vaccinated again. Or, or maybe you are opposed to getting a fourth shot, for example, but your employer has put in a vaccine policy, which perhaps leaves open the possibility that they can come to you and ask you to do that or or whatnot. So this is kind of an evolving thing. I haven't seen too much of this yet, but I think it may be something that will become a trend. And and again, I think just a matter of employers trying to err on the side of caution and give themselves as many outs as possible. um, You want to keep a lookout for those kinds of uh, policies or sections within the contract as well.
1: It's amazing that COVID era policies. There's something that there's language that never was around two years ago. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, yeah. We,
2: no, I I know exactly. And and one other thing, actually, I just wanted to mention regarding COVID era policies has to do with the uh, the remote working relationships. So um, since the onset of the pandemic, many many people have been working from home. Uh, Some employers are fine with that arrangement continuing. Uh, Some employers prefer there to be a hybrid policy where maybe part of the time you work from home, part of the time you come into the office. And then some employers, even though they may have accommodated you uh, by having you work from home for, say, the last two years, are now just insisting that you come back and work full time in the office. And so obviously, if there's something in a contract that sets out that kind of arrangement, How they want to do things especially if you're going into a new employment situation you'll definitely want to be mindful of that if you're in an existing employee employment situation and your policy may be silent on work from home relationships even though you may have been working from home for the last two years as an employee don't assume that you can continue to do that i know it may seem like it makes sense that you know i've been working somewhere for two years uh now my employer is requiring me to come back in but i can do 100 percent of my job from home so why do i need to go back in i don't want to go back in can i just say no i want to stay at home and and the answer to that in a lot of cases is actually you have to do what your employer is saying if it is a term of your employment that you can work from home indefinitely and and that may actually require something being put into a contract um, then that might be one thing but if that's not there if that doesn't exist then there are definitely circumstances where your employer can have you come back. And if you don't, you could potentially be seen as having abandoned your job or, um, you know, resigned or basically just be in a situation where now you're, you're very, you have very little hope of getting severance in that case. So you don't want to say anything too hastily to your employer if they demand that. And that's another situation where you want get to get in touch with an employment lawyer to make sure you, you do everything uh, correctly.
1: That's interesting, though. I mean, would, it, would an employee have a leg to stand on if during the – and I know people have done this. You probably do as well. They were right. living in Toronto proper or somewhere in the GTA, and they said, this is great. I don't have to deal with the hustle and bustle. I'm going to hightail it out to Innisfil. We're moving yeah. to Orangeville. And all of a sudden now, it's like, guess what? You're coming down to uh, you know and King. That's where you work in Toronto. So – pack up your stuff and they're going, wait, wait, what? It's $2 a liter. Now you got to come back to work every day. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I've been at home for two years. How can you do this? Do they have a leg to stand on?
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a good question because, um, again, this is all sort of still evolving. I think, first of all, if you're an employee who's considering moving a far distance away from where your office is located, let's say, I would say it probably makes best sense to touch base with your employer on that first. Um, If if you move sort of unbeknownst to your employer, that could definitely pose some additional issues. Um, If you raise it in advance and your employer, let's say, is okay with it, and then later on your employer says, no, we want you to come back down to the office at Bay and Queen or whatever, and you're up in Innisfil, well, I would imagine there's going to be some sympathy shown towards your way in terms of the sequence of events that happened before that. Uh, And I would say that at the very least, your employer would need to be reasonable and fair in the circumstances. And I think, again, I think it'll depend on each each set of circumstances um, as far as to what degree does your employer need to accommodate you. Uh, Certainly, if you're working from home for reasons, let's say, relating to child care commitments, as an example, uh, that would definitely be one exception to, to the general rule. Uh, as far as there being a more of an onus on your employer to accommodate in those circumstances. But if it's simply a matter of you just moving elsewhere, um, maybe not related to, let's say, anything that's protected under human rights legislation, uh, I I think it'll come down just on a case-by-case basis. Uh, I mean, I'd like to think that, you know, someone doesn't need to uproot their life for a second time, let's say, and go back into downtown city kind of thing, especially if they can do their job from home. So I think there would be a bit more added pressure on the employer to accommodate a situation like that even if it wasn't say due to childcare commitments, if that employee is in fact able to do you know the vast majority of all of it from home. Yeah, not
1: to mention the fact that, you know, can they afford to move back in with the real estate yeah. prices before they left? But I mean, that's a well, completely different different show for a different day, which we'll maybe cover if you get into real estate, Chris. We'll, we'll try that one down the road. Yeah. Or, you
2: know. Yeah, no. I There's mean, there. maybe six months, a year from now, we'll be seeing some cases that hit the courts where this very yep. issue considered. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how things shake out. And I, and I think it will just depend on each case-by-case basis. Yeah, and the
1: flexibility and elasticity of your employer too with what yeah. they're uh, allowing you to do, right? Yeah, they may be cool exactly.
2: with it. Exactly, uh, yeah.
1: I want to get into a, an email here in the last uh, few minutes of the show. Sean says, hey, Chris, my employer decided to scrap the bonus plan for all employees. I usually get $10,000 a year bonus. What can I do?
2: Yeah, so uh, that could definitely be considered a constructive dismissal, which is essentially where there's a significant change to the terms of your employment. And if, let's say, you're an employee who's been working for 10 years and you're getting a $10,000 bonus, and Mm -hmm. that bonus, uh, especially if that bonus represents a large portion of your compensation, um, there's a good argument there to be made that that would constitute a constructive dismissal. Um, Like a lot of things, it, it could come down to what the previous bonus plan said, you know, there, there might have been like a provision in the plan that, for example, allowed the employer to make changes to the plan, uh, perhaps upon being given reasonable notice or, or for some other circumstances.
1: Discretionary bonus, yeah.
2: Well, yeah, I mean that that phrase, discretionary bonus, a lot of employers will say, oh, we put in the word discretionary into the contract. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, we can, you know, just do whatever we want willy-nilly, take it, you know, implement it, you know, change it. And what I will say to that is that employers cannot assume that's the case. Um, Unfortunately for employers, no matter how hard some of them try in, we'll say, trying to structure the bonus in a way where it benefits them, it just doesn't work out. Um, But that's not also to say that it's not possible. I just think it's very difficult um, from, from the law's perspective to do that. And again, I think that if you're someone who's got a very big bonus and you lose that bonus, and say year after year you've gotten it, so it's reasonable for you to expect it, then then that could definitely constitute a constructive dismissal, and should be something you talk to an employment lawyer about.
1: And I think Clark will be doing that before the next round of Christmas vacation. But uh, we'll, we'll take it from there, pal. Chris Justice is your guy. You want to reach out anytime now that we're wrapping her up. one 855 5900 is the phone number. Email help at employmentlawyer.ca. And then finally, the website you can go to for all matters, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time on The Employment Law Show.